Well, let me give you the recap. If you've not been with us, um, if, if you have been with us, you know that we've made it to chapter 4 of Ephesians. If you haven't been, we're, we're journeying through the book of Ephesians. Uh, 1 through 3, the, the first three chapters have all been about doctrine. And the singular doctrine that it's been is, is how God, through Christ, has taken scattered people and made them one. He's, he's created a brand new family. That's what all of chapters 1 through 3 have been about. How He takes many varied pieces and puts them together in one picture that's called the church family. Uh, chapters 4 through 6 are going to shift gears completely. And it's going to go from the doctrine of what Christ has done in unifying the church to the duty of what that church is to do. What we're, how do we live that out? So how does what Christ has done function in us, or how do we express to a world His redemptive power? How, how do we model that? And if you'll remember, last week chapter 4 started with the way that we model that outward expression to the world doesn't happen through strategies and programs and events and all that kind of stuff. You remember that? And he said it begins where? Internally. And so if you'll remember last week, he said the way that we express to a world Christ's redemptive work is to be humble, to be patient, to be gentle, and to be eager to fight for the unity of the bond of peace. You guys remember that? You remember it because we all walked away going, great, we got all those four things knocked, right? No, we all walked away going, okay, wow, that's, that's something. That's a whole lot to, to swallow. And so that's where it was. And so it began internal. And this week, duty is going to move away from internal. And it's going to move external. So if you walked away last week going, okay, all Paul is concerned about is our internal nature as an expression of Christ. It doesn't stop there. It does begin there, but it also goes very external. And that's where it's going to be today. Our outward expressions are going to be that of the inward maturity that Christ has birthed within. Okay, got it? So inward, outward, starts with doctrine, moves to duty, starts inward, and then we express ourselves outward. That's how a world, that's what a world needs in the expression of the church, both global and local. And so maybe a way to begin with is a warped, twisted view of what a church can look like. I think a lot of times we think maybe this is somewhat what church is. It's, it's an airplane ride. And you've got one guy who's the pilot. You've got maybe a couple of people who are, who are doing kind of some works in there. And everybody else just comes in, takes a seat. And, and, and I don't know, how many of y'all identify with this cat right here taking a nap? <laughs> right? and, and maybe that's what we feel church is all about. That's what Christ designed for the church is for. One, that, that guy that's yammering up there up front, he does this thing, and there's a couple of people who do some things, and everybody else just comes in and sits down and, and, and sits there until they get bored, and somebody else has a bigger Boeing 747, you just kind of hop to that next Boeing 747 and take a nap there, right? And, and we get, that's a warped, twisted perspective of the outward expression of the church. And so there's a danger in this. The danger in thinking that that's what church looks like is we just kind of all can become... Uh, Monocolored, uh, mono tasks, very bored, very lazy, and we just become lazy robots together. It's like a factory has made a bunch of lazy robots and then just kind of churned them out to go be lazy robots. And that's the danger in, in thinking of church this way, okay? Now, let me give you a wonderful view of what church really is that. 
This is a wonderful picture of what church is and what church should be. When you think of church, if you think of that's where that guy speaks, I go sit and a few people do some things, that is a jacked up view of church. It's a necessary and and awesome portion of church, but it's not what church is. This is church, man. I mean, you got some people over here who have been slinging chicken and mashed potatoes and, and all kinds of stuff. Um, you got families, you got guys ministering to their daughters. I mean, Jared Franklin in this mask right here could be the coolest image I've seen all week, right? You've got Andy Weigel over here. I don't even know how a back bends like that. And he's not doing that because he wants to break his back. He's doing that to minister to his daughter, right? And you've got this going on, and then you've got old Tanner. Where's Tanner? This dude... If you came, he killed it, didn't he? He killed it. Um, MCing, he was the guy up front. He was he was doing the thing. And Jennifer, I'm, I'm sorry, Jennifer. Jennifer made it happen. Tanner got to wear the cool clothes. Um, and they were leading. The, and there's just multi-varied expressions. It's beautiful. It's not monotonous. It's not robotic. Everybody's doing something. It, there's all kind of things going on. It's just awesome. That is what Paul's going to say to us today. That the church should look like this. Many varied expressions, all kind of all over the place. And what he's going to say basically is to maintain our unity, catch it, we've got to express our diversity. To maintain our unity in the faith, bond of peace, it's through expressions of diversity. And where this can all go wrong, just leave that picture up there. Where worshipful unity can go wrong is this. When people, number one, are just... Not involved in doing anything. That's where it can go wrong. When, when some people are just kind of sitting idly by and, and when they're asleep on the plane. That's where worshipful unity can go wrong. Because we miss out on what you're capable of doing. Another area that can go wrong is when people begin to get focused on what other people are doing. When your eyes turn towards, well, I really want to be Tanner and doing what Tanner's doing. That's where it can get warped. Or Tanner looks and goes, I don't want to be doing that. I want to be doing what the servers are doing. Or when the servers go, well, I don't even have a... And, and one, of the, one of the people in, in here uh, that were in that picture, they don't even have a daughter. They don't even have a child yet. But when they begin to go, I want, I want to be out there dancing. Or when the dancers look and go, boy, I wish I was the guy running the sound. Or I wish I was the whatever. That's when it can get really warped and wonky, Right? It's when everybody starts looking at what everybody else is doing. I want to be the stewardess. I want to take the nap. Another place that it can go wrong is when people want applause for doing whatever they're doing. That's when it gets seven layers of jacked up. When somebody wants to get, good job, you did real good, because then it becomes not about Christ and His glory. It becomes about the person doing what they do. That's when it's, it's all kind of crazy. Uh, this is about me. I want to be applause. Clap for me. And if you don't clap for me, I'll leave and go somewhere else that will clap for me. That's, that is all, that's where worshipful unity breaks down. Why? Because it's not worship anymore. Then it just becomes a structure and a system. Right? And so what Paul is going to do for us today is the opposite of that. It's awesome. He's going to show us how worshipful unity goes right. 
Let's look at this in this passage together today. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we've made it in verse 7 and we'll make it all the way through verse 16 today. Where worshipful unity goes right is number one, when we worship Jesus as the one who is the giver of gifts. We're going to see this in verse 7 when he says this. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended... What does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? I'm going to pause there real fast just to say to all of the budding theologians in here, we will not dive into the complication of that verse right there. You hear me, John James? We ain't going there, brother. Uh, And it doesn't fulfill our point with what we're getting to today. But verse 10, um, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Number one is this. When worshipful unity goes right, it all begins with the fact that Jesus is the one who gives the gifts anyway. There's nothing in and of ourselves that we even bring to the table. Anything that we bring to the table is because he brought them to the table for us. He gifts us. So, so one thing I want to say about that also is just this. I think a lot of times when we think about the spiritual gifts... We can get um, sidetracked with, probably when I said spiritual gifts, well, let's just do it this way. When I said, uh, or when we read about that that spiritual gifts are given out, how many of y'all thought of the Holy Spirit? Anybody raise your hand? You're like, okay. I think a lot of times when we think about spiritual gifts, we we can get warped on thinking about the complex nature of the Holy Spirit. Did you notice who is the gift giver in this passage? It's not the Holy Spirit, is it? Christ gives the gifts. So number one, to be reminded that any gift that we've given is something that Christ has accomplished. That doesn't demean the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit 100% flourishes them and we can quench them and all that kind of stuff. But when we view, okay, any gift that I have is not because I have any intrinsic ability in and of myself. It's simply because... Christ has birthed a gift in me for His glory. That's when it goes right. Because then nobody gets the praise. Except for who? Christ. Christ gets all of the glory. And and so we're empowered by Christ. And when we worshipfully unify our gifts as an expression of worship towards Jesus, that unifies us. And then number two. Where worshipful unity goes right in the expression of gifts, number two is when we rejoice that the gifts are indeed wonderfully varied. Verse 11, And He gave apostles, and He gave prophets, and evangelists. He gave shepherds, He gave teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. A lot of times when we think about the church and the varied gifts, we can quickly focus on two kinds of gifts. Voice gifts, whether singers or speakers or whatever. And then we can also focus on sign gifts, the miraculous, the mystical, the, all the, the, the things that you see on TV. We can get warped on those things. And in doing so, we can get sidetracked and, and we can have a warped understanding of, of, of unity and, and worship because we have a very small view of what gifting, gifting looks like. And we rejoice that the gifts are wonderfully varied. And you say, Troy, that doesn't look very varied. It looks like he named five things there. Well, look beyond the text. 
know that in Scripture there are at least five spiritual gift lists with over 23 varied gifts that are expressed throughout. And I think the point Paul's getting here is, look, some people are apostles and some people are prophets and some people are evangelists and some people are shepherds and some people are teachers. It's almost like dot, 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 dot. You can't read this passage and go, okay, Troy, I don't fit into any of those five gifts, therefore I must not have a spiritual gift. That's not the point at all. It's like saying, Jeremy, I need you to go to the grocery store. I need you to get all kind of things. Here's a credit card. There's a, there's a get, get tons of things. Get eggs, get Coke, get green beans, get mashed potatoes. Now, that would make a great lunch, right? Now, Jeremy can walk into the grocery store and go, okay, what are the four things that he told me to get? Very narrow, right? Or he can go in and go, he said get all kind of things and he gave illustrations. That's when it begins looking beautiful in the church. It's when you begin to process for yourself, how has God gifted me to be a varied expression of Christ's grace gift? What can I do? What can I bring to the table that he's brought to the table through me? Let me just boil it down this way. I think a lot of times we over-spiritualize spiritual gifts. If it doesn't fit in the 22, I must not have a spiritual gift. You want to know what a spiritual gift is? I think what Paul is saying is, when you take a natural ability, or maybe a supernatural ability, and use it for gospel purposes, my friend, that is a spiritual gift. We've got a softball team that has just been birthed at Safe Haven. And it is not a men's softball league. And it has me more excited than anything I think I've been excited about in a long time. It is little girls. Now listen, as soon as I heard about this, y'all know me, I admit my flaws to you. The first thing I thought was, if they don't bring home the trophy, they're getting excommunicated from this church. That's number one. The second thing I thought was, how awesome is this? That we've got some ladies and some dads who are getting their daughters together to rub shoulders with one another for the glory of Christ through playing softball. Now listen, I'm going to tell you as well, I don't have a picture of it. Their jerseys are going to be the most balling jerseys out there. All right? I saw them. Jared, I offered the old jerseys and then I was shown the whole new uniform. It was crazy. They're going to be awesome. But here's the thing. What is the point of that? Do you think those moms and dads' ultimate point is just so that they can get their kids out there in the dirt to roll around? No. It's so that they can unite together and through uniting together they have commonalities through common conversations. It gets deeper into conversations. They then worship together right up here in this big area back here. They're back there learning about Jesus. They're connecting. They're rubbing shoulders. Do you want to know what a spiritual gift looks like? In that scenario, forming a softball team and leading some girls around the dirt. Show me that in the New Testament. You just won't. Don't over-spiritualize it. There are very specific spiritual gifts listed, yes. But you can do something that nobody else can do to reach someone that nobody else can reach. And it may not fit in a nice, neat category that sounds real bible It may look like you can dance around and make some little girls happy at a daddy-daughter dance. It may mean that you get up here on a Sunday afternoon, or was it two Saturdays ago where a bunch of people got in? Did y'all notice that the bathrooms got repainted? I mean, I'm not knocking the lighthouses and all that wallpaper, okay? It was really wicked cool. But I mean, it's wicked cooler-y now, right? They got together and, and did that together 
for the glory of Christ, that becomes a spiritual gift. That's where it gets fun. That's where it gets exciting. When we look at each one and go, you got a gift, what is that expression of it? A lot of you guys are parking down here in the lower 40, right? We did move some cars up on this gentleman's property way up here. Thank God he let us use it. I mean that in the truest sense, not the... Thank you, God, for letting us use the property. Some of y'all park way down here, and you enjoy walking up those stairs, right? Because it's way better than walking up through a hill in grass, right? And so some guys got together, and they built this out here. And we can do one of two things. We can go, well, that's just manual labor. Or we can go, praise God for some men who were gifted to build us some staircases down to a gravel parking lot that gets flooded with mud so that I don't have to slip and slide all the way up to church. That's when it gets pretty. That's when church gets fun. And that's what Paul's saying. That's the varied expressions. And then three, let's wrap it up. Where worshipful unity goes right is when we worship Jesus as the one who gives gifts, not man. When we rejoice that the gifts are wonderfully varied. And then number three, when we realize that gifts are all for non-reciprocal service. Not for applause and praise. God is the only one who ever gets applause and praise. That's when it gets really cool. Verse 13. What are all these gifts for? Verse 13. Until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Your gift is pressing someone else when it's used to the full measure of Christ's likeness. Verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up into every way into Him who's the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly. If, if, if you've been zoned out and asleep like the guy on the airplane, log into this verse right here, right? If you don't get anything else, get this. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's what the church is all about. Is every part working properly, doing its job to build itself up in love. Two things about that. Number one, we should have, with this passage, a discontent with, with where we're at. I mean that personally. Like this passage should call us to a holy discontent of move me, shake me, stretch me. Whatever I'm doing, stretch me to do more. Let me be an expression, if you will, of, of, of your glory through my gift sets that you've given me. Okay? It, should, it should cause us to, that, to this holy discontent. You should want to have more people sitting next to you. Not so that people are sitting next to you, but that the body of Christ is growing up. You should, you should want that. You should be a discontent with that, number one. And then number two. We should realize that every single part is beautifully made, even if it is a joint. Not in this kind of joint sense. Okay, let's be clear about that. But notice what he said there. He said that 
every part is held together by every joint with which it is equipped. I think a lot of times we go, if I'm going to express my spiritual gift, then I want to be a hand. And if I'm not a hand, then I'm not going to do anything because I want to be a hand or I'll, I'll fight to be a hand or a foot. I want to be a foot. I want to be an expression through a foot. Or I want to be a voice. Or I want to be a, a, an arm. Or I want to be a thigh. Or I want, to be, I want to be something outwardly expressed. And he says even the joints are vitally important. Hold the thing together. So your gift may not be to build a stairwell. Your gift may be to get on the phone with somebody across the pond who is in mission and encourage them. Your gift may be <laughs> your gift may be to put candles up here that operate off of a remote control. Your gift may be to replace that one candle that is burned out. Your, your, like your gift... Oh, they've already taken it down. Good grief, where did it go? Somebody came in here. Austin, who hung the disco ball? Yep. Barnett, your gift may be to hang a disco ball and then to take it down. Your gift may be expressed in a jillion different ways. Your gift may be to cook a, cook a thing of cookies and take it to somebody. Your gift may be able to go sit with one of our widows and, and just sit there. We've got... Somebody in our church who can't drive to church right now. And, and just go sit there for two hours and to talk about her puppy dog that is, oh my gosh, how big is that thing, Jeremy? It's at least 75 feet tall, right? It's, it's this massive puppy that's teeth's coming out. And, it's, and you just sit there and hang out. Maybe that's your gift. Whatever it is, it's important. And when we all use them, We don't get their glory. It's not a good job. Nobody ever maybe even know you go sit for two hours in in a back room in the middle of nowhere. But God gets the glory. And isn't that what we're here for anyway? He brings the grace down. And we shout it back to Him in glory. And so with that said, immaturity, according to this passage, immaturity is just leeching. We don't need leeches at Safe Haven Church. You just kind of come in and suck the goody out, right? That's, that's not family. Maturity is giving your life away. The older to serve the younger. The younger to serve the older. It, it's a beautiful display so that from one generation to the next, the excellencies of Christ is proclaimed over and over and over and over and over and over and over. It's a pretty cool plan. And it's some plan that only God could come up with. Because your job doesn't work that way, does it? Your job is based off reciprocal praise. I will do for you if you give me the bonus. I will do for you if I get promoted. I will do for you as long as you give me that paycheck. Let's just be honest. How many of y'all are going to show up to work tomorrow if they go, hey, you're not going to get a paycheck? You're jumping ship, aren't you? You're gone, right? It's not how it works in God's economy. We go, I'm going to do for you because of what you've done for me through Christ, not expecting anything in return. 
Not so that man praises me, not so that man applauds, not so that anything else except for Christ is glorified. And like I said, that whole generational thing, we become no longer children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Did you catch that? When we're functioning together, even doctrine itself gets solid. How does that happen through girls playing softball? Let me rephrase that. How does that happen through girls dominating in softball? Let's just go and speak that into existence. How does that happen? Well, again, think of that. They, They learn about the gospel up here. They then begin to grow. They then, I mean, all of them other than my daughter, they all, the other ones get married. Macy does not. They then have kids. They then model their gifts. And then we all die. But they don't. And they continue the growth of the kingdom so that maybe, just maybe, one more person comes to know Christ. It's awesome. That's when it's working right. So how does this fit into our local body as the band comes back up? Practically, there's just some takeaways. Okay, how does this fit with me? Number one, ask the Lord how you can serve and then just follow through. Lord, what do you want me to do? I can promise you, if there's something that you want to do, we will try our best to equip you and resource you to do what God's leading you to do. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Um, Number two, be present. Jump in and see a need. And whatever that need is, fill it. A great example of this, and she's in the first service, a great example is Amelia Barton. Uh, and, and I don't, again, I don't do this for Amelia's praise, and, and she would hate it if, if, if we were trying to praise her. But Amelia and Brett, I mean, y'all know that the world just went through a pandemic, right? Is it, everybody's aware of this. It's, I mean, it's still going on. It, it was it's a whirlwind for the church. I mean, it just, that was hard. That was hard for you guys to process. But it was, for us, it was just really hard to process. So we're trying to figure out what do we do and how does it work and blah, 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 blah. And this is what we know we can do and this is what the resources we have and this is kind of where we fit. I mean, we're trying to figure it all out. And Amelia goes, hey, I see a need that we have that we're not meeting. And we go, you feel like God's calling you to do this? And she goes, absolutely, I'll do it. And she births a whole other service to be able to serve in a different way. It takes ownership and leads and drives and goes and... Yanks her husband into the mix, and I, I'm, I know Brett came on his own volition, but he's serving and just doing things, all because she's just present, she saw the need, she heard the Lord, she said, I'll do it. Well, what's the Lord calling you to do? It's something. It's something. Number three, come to the next steps class. I promise that we did not have next steps in line. Tyler did not pick out this day to have the next steps class just because it coincided with this text. But... In God's sovereignty, <laughs> it occurred, man. Come to the next steps class if you don't know how to get involved. And then number four, you can text this. If you're like, I'm not comfortable doing any of those things. Well, you can text. Text that number right there. I'm here. Use me. And I can assure you, you will get a response, especially after today. Um, so with that said, chapter four, Paul begins by begging us, I beg you. I beg you to revolutionize the world. And then now he says, revolutionize the world with tools that I've already given you. Let's pray together.
Oh Lord, what a text. It's so rich and so meaty. Thank you. Thank you that you did not make of the church a very bland, tasteless, monocolor, boring piece of art. Thank you that you made a kaleidoscope of colors to display for your glory. Use us how you see fit more and more this week.